Hey friends, this is Linda, and you're listening to Calling Water. Each week on our podcast, we look at a passage of scripture and ask ourselves two questions. What does it mean, and what does it call us to do? In today's episode, Out of the Storm, we're looking at Job chapters 38 through 42, where God finally replies to Job. And while it was hardly the answer he was looking for, it was the one he needed to hear. Let's get started. You know how everyone uses storms as metaphors for trials and suffering? They say that once the clouds dissipate and the rain stops falling and the wind stops blowing, what happens? That's right, the sun shines again and a rainbow is painted across the sky. It's a tried and true analogy of how if we are patient and we persevere, then something good will come out of even our worst storms. Except, I don't know about you, but I was never really encouraged by this metaphor because, for one, I don't get as excited about rainbows as the next person might, and also I really like rain, which admittedly is beside the point. But here's the thing, while we might be able to, in hindsight, articulate what we might have learned out of the storm in our lives, when you're in the midst of it, the storm just seems to rage on indefinitely. And the storm of Job's life persisted like this and severely. And to recap his story, we've talked about in Job chapter 1 how Satan challenges God by positing the theory that Job was only faithful to God because he was given material blessings. And then God allows Job to be stripped of all his possessions his family, and even his health. And then Job's friends try to help, and I'm definitely putting the word help in quotes, but they end up just accusing Job of unrepentant sin. But Job claims his innocence to the very end. So then the question is, is Job sinless and God unjust? Or is Job in fact sinful and God just. And then in the middle of the stormy situation, God finally speaks. After 37 chapters of various postulating from Job and his friends, we might expect God to address all of the things that they say in a very systematic way. But what God does say is kind of puzzling. And let me show you what I mean. Here's a snippet of God's response in Job chapter 38, verses 1 through 7. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? And it goes on like this. God demands of Job to account for where he was and what he knows about 
how the cosmos came into existence, how every facet of creation operates, how all of nature is cared for. Can Job say that he has any control or even an inkling about how any of this works? And yet Job has the audacity to question how God works? Does he not realize that he is so small in comparison to how big God is? So this answer is definitely not the one Job was waiting on or expecting, but it does illuminate so much about who God is and who Job is in relation to such a big God. Now, before you think God is being way harsh here in his response, we need to understand that Job is a book of wisdom. Its purpose is not so much to tell a narrative story as it is to teach us something. So God's questions to Job here are not meant to bully him, and these questions don't mean that God is deflecting either. It means God wants Job to reorient his views of God and align them with the way God sees things, or at the very least, try to. By asking these questions, God's trying to get Job to see that his focus has been on himself the entire time. He has been judging God through the lens of his singular experience. As God asks in chapter 40, verse 8, Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Essentially, God seems to be asking, Can you, Job, make a definitive statement about my character based only on what you know about me? Because God's domain is much more extensive than what Job knows. What Job sees as chaotic, random, and arbitrary, God is showing Job that he couldn't even understand a small percentage of how the universe operates or how it came into being in the first place. And especially when it comes to things we humans perceive to be fair or unfair, there are so many variables that we couldn't even begin to understand. So by asking all of these questions to Job, God is deconstructing all of the assumptions on how God's justice works. See, the general understanding of God is up until this point, good begets good, bad begets bad. And Satan confirms this view by saying Job is good because he was given good things. So when Job continues to praise God even after those good things were taken away, it upset the equilibrium. According to the supposed rules, that shouldn't or couldn't happen. And even though Job never once blasphemes God, he is an understandable wreck. What happened to the system of justice? He was good, so he was richly rewarded, right? Why did that break down all of a sudden without warning? And his friends say it's because he had, in fact, done something reprehensible that he has yet to repent. But God's response doesn't directly address any of this. 
But by asking the series of questions, God is pointing out the fact that human beings cannot come even remotely close to comprehending the ways of God. Because God doesn't simply punish the wicked and reward the righteous. The world is much more complex and layered than that. That reminds me of that one Jim Carrey movie, uh, Bruce Almighty, where the character Bruce accuses God of not doing such a good job. So God hands him the job. And in one scene, being overwhelmed with the over 3 million prayers coming in, he decides to answer yes to all. And of course, this causes complications because everyone's prayers were answered. So for example, um, everyone who prayed to win the lottery did. So each player only got a few bucks. And this is a very silly example, but it, it, it illustrates the point pretty well. We, like Job, do not have a universal vantage point. We are not in a position to accuse God of being unjust or delinquent or simply doing a bad job. And Job comes to this understanding as well, because Job, after hearing the words of God directly, immediately humbles himself and repents. Not for some unknown sins that caused his suffering, but for his presumptions about God. For making judgments about God based on his narrow and limited views. So he responds like this in chapter 42, verses 2 through 6. I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So what are some things that this passage is calling us to do? The first thing that I'm called to do is to remember how small I am. And I don't mean this to be self-deprecating or to devalue myself in any way. I mean this very matter-of-factly. There's this phrase that Korean Christians use a lot in prayers. Uh, we like to say that we are 벌레만도 못하다. Which is to say that humans are worse than insects. And we say this to seemingly show how magnanimous God is even when we are so insignificant. We're so small, yet you love us, God. You take care of us, you redeem us, you forgive us, and the list goes on. But if we are being honest, this is not truly representative of how we feel. We're not really grateful that such a great big God would deign to show us even a tiny bit of grace. In many ways, we feel entitled to God's attention and provision. And I know this because when we don't get the things we want or the things that we think we desperately need, we start launching our accusations at God. But like Job learned, we are very small. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be loved by God. 
It just means that we don't in any way deserve it. We can't earn it. Whatever we, we receive from God, however much or however little, they are all 100% by grace and grace alone. But the truth is, even though we are so small, we are loved, we are cared for, we are valued. So hang on to those truths and learn to be okay with our smallness. Because when we trust in our big God, being small is no obstacle. And on a related note, today's passage reminds me that sometimes God doesn't directly answer our questions. And that's also okay. Because winning arguments and showing evidence may work in a court of law. But when it comes to people's hearts... I don't know of a single person who's won over because of an intellectual debate. Like when you ask someone out on a date, do you present a list of arguments as to why they should go out with you? If you do, we need to talk because I'm definitely curious about your success rate. But God likewise does not try to win us over with information, nor does he have anything to prove. Jesus in the New Testament never tried to win an argument with the Pharisees, and he didn't win any of them over by being supposedly smarter than them. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the story of Job with uh, some of our youth group students, and they were talking amongst themselves about why God allowed Job to suffer. And one student said, Maybe God wanted to prove to Satan and immediately the other student said, nah, God doesn't need to prove himself to anybody. So then I asked that second student why they thought God did it. And then he said, maybe it was to show humans about how we should love God. And I was seriously blown away by that answer. And I concur. The book of Job despite the fact that it's named after Job and it details so many things about Job, it's not about Job. It's about God. It addresses who God is and shows us that God is so much more than we know him to be and could ever know in this lifetime. But rather than being discouraged at what a mystery God is, it should give us hope. If the little we can grasp about the character of God reveals him to be such a compassionate and gracious God, how much more must he be in his eternal fullness? It causes me to be in more wonder and awe of God, and even more confounding that such a God would choose and love me. So friends, whatever burning questions you have about God, Ask them, search scripture for answers, listen for God's voice on the daily, but brace yourself for God to answer your questions with questions of his own. But know that they're not questions designed to belittle you or trivialize your situation. It's to prompt you to align your will to God's and not the other way around. God will speak to you out of whatever storm you're in, but be prepared and be willing to obey the answer.
you get. Let's pray. God, we praise you for being a big God. We usually only care about how big you are as it pertains to our problems and the mountains in our way. But you are the God who has power over all the mountains in the universe, for you are the one who brought them into existence. Thank you for seeing what we do not see, for knowing what we do not know, for understanding things that we can't even begin to understand. And despite how small we are in comparison to you, you speak to us out of every storm we encounter. And not only that, you deliver us out of the storms as well. Remind us once again that your love for us is as big as you are so that we may trust your good and perfect will to be done on earth and in our lives as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.